0: from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress Takeover. Check us out at GenProgress.org or on Twitter at GenProgress.
1: The Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your host, Edwith Theogene, the organizing director of Generation Progress. And today we're going to talk be taking a moment to talk about reproductive justice and how we can use reproductive justice as a framework for practically every other issue we work on. At a high level, reproductive justice is the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. It is a movement and a framework that was coined by visionary black women activists in 1994 to recognize people who felt marginalized or sidelined by the existing women's rights movement, which centered the experiences of white women and primarily focused on abortion, often without discussing non-legal barriers to abortion access, including cost, travel, travel time, and lack of childcare. Reproductive justice is an issue that I'm personally very passionate about. Before taking on this role at Generation Progress, I managed the Act for Women campaign at the Center for Reproductive Rights. Um, The Act for Women campaign is a national campaign to support the Women's Health Protection Act, federal legislation that ensures that pregnant people can have safe and accessible abortion no matter where they live. To dive deeper into reproductive justice, we're joined today by three experts in the reproductive justice field. Margie Del Castillo, the Director of Field and Advocacy for the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Health. Jessica Pinckney, the Vice President of Government Affairs at In Our Own Voice, Black Women's Reproductive Justice Agenda. And Jacqueline Dean, the Public Policy Manager for the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum. Thanks so much for coming. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. us. Thank you. Um, To start off today, uh, Margie, can you share a bit more about the mission and work of National Latina Institute for Reproductive Health? Definitely. And also share how you came to this work in the reproductive justice space.
2: Yes. Um, So NLIRH is the only national reproductive justice organization that is fighting for the 29 million Latinas and their families in the U.S. Um, We aim to advance salud, dignidad y justicia, health, dignity, and justice. And we're building power, doing deep organizing at the ground level in Texas, Virginia, Florida, and New York, while also mobilizing for policy change, doing cultural shift work across the country, and really building transformational leaders um, across the country and that the next leaders that will continue to build the movement for RJ. So really exciting work that we're doing there. And I actually came to the Institute as an activist. I started in 2012. Um, I went to one of our signature LOLA trainings, Latinas Organizing for Leadership and Advocacy, and that was held in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, And back then, we were doing kind of regional organizing work, and so it was the Southeastern uh, portion of the work that was happening. And so I went as a representative of Virginia, and I actually met two other women from Virginia at that training who lived just like 20 minutes away from me. Um, And so it was really exciting. We had an amazing weekend. And the ask at the end of the weekend was to go back and start your own network to continue the fight locally. Uh, so we started what is now our Virginia Latina Advocacy Network um, in 2012 as volunteers. And I came on a few years later as a staff, full-time staff, in 2014. So I've been with the Latina Institute for a long time. And I, I like to tell my origin story as an activist because it's really important to our mission um, to develop these transformational leaders, right? So I started out as one of those. And I want to keep doing that for others.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Jessica, what is the mission of In Our Own Voice, and what is your role as the VP of Government Affairs and Compass? Yeah, so In Our Own Voice, National Black Women's
3: Reproductive Justice Agenda is a national state partnership with eight black women's reproductive justice organizations, and I always like to give them... A shout out whenever I can. Uh, Black Women for Wellness in California, Black Women's Health Imperative that has a national presence, uh, New Voices for Reproductive Justice based in Pennsylvania and Ohio and expanding rapidly across the Rust Belt, Sister Love in Georgia, Sister Reach in Tennessee, Spark Reproductive Justice Now in Georgia, the AFIA Center in Texas, and Women with a Vision in Louisiana. Um, so, our organization is about five years old, and our, the goal of In Our Own Voice is really to lift up the voices of black women leaders on the local, state, and national level, um, specifically on, on policies that impact our lives. Um, and our core strategies are really around leadership development, advocacy and policy change, and movement building. Um, and my role as vice president, I oversee our government affairs department, so um, advocating at a federal, state, local level, um, encouraging legislators to understand the power of uh, their policymaking in the lives of everyday individuals, and um, I, I actually was just telling the story earlier this week on a maternal health panel about coming um, to reproductive just having always believed in the reproductive justice values but never realizing there was a name for it Mm -hmm. and just feeling so at home once I realized that there was a movement and a space that uh, fully understood my lived experience and valued my um, my story and so
1: that is essentially what in our own voice tries to do for others every day Awesome, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Jacqueline, same question for you. Can you share a little bit about your work and um, tell us a little bit more about your role at the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum?
0: Yes, so my name's Jacqueline. I am the policy manager at National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum, or NAPOF. Um, We are the only multi-issue progressive organization that is building collective power for AAPI women and girls um, using policy advocacy and community organizing. We work in reproductive health and rights, um, economic justice, and immigrant rights, and we have 11 chapters, um, or we have chapters in 11 cities (laughs) across the United States. Um, So similar to Jessica, I um, oversee our government affairs and our policy work, advocating for policies on the Hill here in D.C., and also working with our field team to advance state and local policies on the ground. And I have a similar story to, just, to Jessica, <laughs> in which um, you know, I had always believed in so many of these social justice issues. And um, I think I became more passionate about reproductive health and rights. But when I learned about reproductive justice, and specifically when I found NAPOF, I, I knew that this was the type of organization where I belonged. And this was the role that I should be playing within the movement, was to be working with and for my people. Awesome.
1: Wow, everyone has some great stories of how they came to this table. I think all of you are also part of my story of how I came to this table and came to this work. So I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, I'm going to start off by asking this question to Margie, but I also want to open it up to everyone here as well. Um, Margie, at a very high level, what does, or actually you can get into the details of it because those are important, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what does reproductive justice mean and
2: what does it encompass? Yeah, big question. Um, So really, I mean, the way I like to think about it, it's a framework, but it's also an approach to working on social change, right? Um, It was created by visionary black women and then embraced by all women of color uh, to really affect change and to really be able to be seen as not just single-issue lives that we may lead, right, but that we lead multi-issue lives. So we are living our lives and experiencing injustices at the intersection of many different realities, such as our gender identity, our immigration status, how much money we we earn, right, Uh, just to name a few. And ultimately, our vision of RJ seeks to build power um, and to create the lived conditions for our people to thrive. So not just to survive, but to thrive and to really also be able to create the families that we may choose to have. Right. So I think that, you know, that's what we try to center our work in every day at NLRH. Yeah. Does anyone want to add to that? I mean, I think that was
3: pretty perfect. (laughs) 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 Um, I I, just to add to that, I always say um, it's really reproductive justice is just rooted in in bodily autonomy and having um, power and control
1: over our lives and our families and our communities. That's right. Yeah, I think the Mm self-determination piece of it is the thing that really brings me to the table, right? Like, who has the power to decide what are the things that you need in order to make those decisions? Um, It's really powerful.
0: Did you have anything? Yeah, I would add that reproductive justice is not so much about the individual as it is Mm. about the family and the community and realizing that, you know, you have to look at how all of these issues impact communities as a whole. Um, And, you know, that kind of framework really resonates with our Asian and Pacific Islander community, we come from a more communal background Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to having more individualistic cultures. And so that is a framework that really resonates um, with our community when we're organizing on the ground. Great. And um,
1: understanding that reproductive justice is a framework That we can use and can be applied to other issues outside of I think a lot of the times people hear reproductive justice and they immediately just go like abortion Mm -hmm. and we know that reproductive justice is beneficial useful can be um, applied to so many different things Um, Jessica like how could one implement that as a framework reproductive justice as a framework to the work that we do
3: I think the biggest thing is not siloing issues. So um, for me, in terms of the policymaking space, I think the thing that I'm always advocating for is that we think about individuals as whole people and not um, just as women or just as parents or children or whatever the case may be. Um, As Marjorie was talking about, we certainly live at the intersections of Uh, various identities I don't get to show up just as a woman or um, just as a black person just LGBTQ just an immigrant or so on and so forth and so I think um, in terms of implementing the framework it's really important to think holistically about people's lives particularly when we're looking at at policy making and I think particularly when we look at the federal level it's not always done that right right when you meet with your legislator they have a staff member who handles health care and a staff member who mm-hmm. handles environment mm-hmm. and so on and so forth and I think um, a lot of the work that I see uh, reproductive justice organizations doing in the po- policy space is to try and break down those silos and have folks understand that that's not how we're seeing our lives and that's not how we
1: can legislate. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but to recap, we're speaking with Margie de la Castillo, Director of Field and Advocacy for the National Latina Institute for Predictive Health, Jessica Pinkney, the Vice President of Government Relations at In Our Own Voice, and Jacqueline Dean, the Public Policy Manager for the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum. We'll be back with you with more after this break. Generation Progress takeover of The Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your host, Edweth Theogene, and today we're talking about reproductive justice with Margie Del Castillo, Director of Fields and Advocacy for the National Latina um, Institute for Reproductive Health, Jessica Pinckney, the Vice President of Government Relations at In Our Own Voice, and Jacqueline Dean, the Public Policy Manager for the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum. And today we're talking about reproductive justice. Um, as we discussed in the earlier segment, reproductive justice is the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, um, ha- the right to have children, the right not to have children, and the right to parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. Um, so we talked about how we can use reproductive justice as a framework in a lot of the work that we do. Um, so let's start off this conversation now with uh, what are some of the biggest obstacles and challenges that we see to reproductive justice currently? So. Uh, I will... Jessica, would you like to, since you ended the last segment, would you like to answer that question? Sure. And also opening up to the group, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I
3: think um, what I was saying earlier around just getting people to think about the intersections of people's lives is um, a a huge obstacle to obtaining reproductive justice. And I, I mean quite frankly, we do not exist in a society and culture that really um, values everyone's lived experiences and bodily autonomy. And so um, I think that's a huge obstacle to reproductive justice right now. Uh, We're still trying to, uh, you know, the government's still trying to have power and control over our bodies and the decisions we make, um, and we're living in unsafe environments that are often over-policed and, uns- and um, not secure or safe for various communities. Um, so I think it's, it's a, a large issue around um, just safety, security, and autonomy.
2: Yeah, I I think that's right. I I really resonate with that, and I think I also think a lot about sort of the difference between reproductive health rights and justice. Um, I really see that as an obstacle to achieving uh, RJ because reproductive justice is really about movement building, right? It's about culture shift. It's about really honoring all the lived intersections. And right now it's a really buzzword, right? It's like you're seeing it everywhere. It's being named at presidential debates, which Mm -hmm. is really exciting, but it also comes with a real responsibility to understand Mm -hmm. what that means when we use it and to understand who's doing that work and who's not, right? Right. Um, and so knowing that the reproductive justice framework was coined by black women is being done by women of color, right? Um, and so knowing that, you know, organizations like that are white women led in particular are not doing that work. And it's really important to name that, right? And to name and honor the, the visionary leadership of women of color. And so I think being aware of how we all work together because we need all the different frameworks, right? We need people working on our reproductive health access, right? We need those clinics to stay open. We need reproductive rights organizations that are fighting to keep laws on the books that allow us access, but we also need reproductive justice organizations that are really looking more long-term and looking at doing, you know, big societal change. So I think that's definitely one that comes up for me often. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and just to kind of elaborate a little bit, like folks who work on reproductive rights are looking at the constitutional rights, right, right and they're looking at legal systems and that kind of framework, and those who work on reproductive health are service providers, those right. who are actually doing, like, the health care provisions and stuff, and then with reproductive justice, it's looking at all of these different intersections, right, and there's, you're right, it's totally about the organizing and mobilizing as well as the community um, responses that we can create for that. Mm-hmm. Um, Jacqueline, who do you see as being most at risk when reproductive justice is not enacted?
0: So many people. (laughs) Um, I mean, primarily those people who have intersecting marginalized identities. So we're not just talking about women of color. We're also talking about queer women of color, um, transgender people of color, uh, women of color with disabilities, immigrants. Um, You know, there are so many parts of their identity that are, you know, at risk right now and are being threatened by you know this country and everything that's been that's been happening and it has been going on for a long time and they have also they have always been consistently left behind in a lot of these conversations and movements around social justice despite being the ones leading and doing the work and organizing their communities um, their stories are the ones that need to be told and are the ones that we need to be focusing on when doing this work so um, we can't do reproductive justice without them and when reproductive justice isn't in- enacted they are the ones that we are, um, that we are harming. Thank you, Jacqueline. We're about to go to another commercial break. You're
1: listening to the Generation Progress takeover of The Leslie Marshall Show, and we'll pick up right where we left off. Thank you. Welcome back to the Generation Progress takeover of The Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your host, Edwin Theogene, and today we're talking with three experts in the reproductive justice space, Margie Del Castillo, Jessica Pinkney, and Jacqueline Dean. All right. We're going to start off and talk about this amazing project program, collaborative, that all three of you are part of, all three of your organizations. Um, They've joined together in a collaborative called The Intersections of Our Lives. Can any one of you speak to me and tell me what is the collaborative and what is the mission? Who wants to start off? Whose idea was it? How did it come about? So... (laughs) There, I think there are mixed. <laughs> I think there are different stories. Last story. Yeah. I think there's like a
3: few iterations of totally. how it began. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, all three of our organizations are led by phenomenal uh, women of color who recognized a need. I guess it was like three or four. Four years okay, ago? Four years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, really wanted to be able to advocate for each other in spaces where um, they were often the only ones that looked like um, them. And so it really started kind of uh, the, the executive directors like supporting each other and lifting each other up and um, expanded to our three organizations doing some briefings on the Hill around mm-hmm. um, the intersections of our lives. <laughs> so we did a series of briefings um a couple years ago and they were really well received, particularly by staff of color on the hill, and it just kind of grown from there. Um our federal policy teams are like
0: constantly in contact mm-hmm. with each other and well, really we started doing a lot of our visits on yeah. the hill together a mm. couple of years ago and we, you know, were advocating around certain bills. Um and we would you know, the three of our groups would kind of schedule these meetings together so that we could go in together and, you know, talk about the specific impacts on women of color. And we found that to be really powerful and then decided that we wanted to make it official. Yeah. So it's
3: really, uh, I feel like it's really just meant to show the power, the collective power we can have. Um, So at various times, any one of our EDs can be heard, heard being, heard, heard be heard saying words um, <laughs> that we have um, clout individually but we have power collectively that's right. um, and I really love that, that that's kind of
2: like part of intersections and then Yeah, had just an awesome, an amazing day. And I think like so since 2016, I think the work's been really strong federally. uh, But there was this desire to bring in all these other folks, right, that work out in the states and across the country. Um, And so the idea was to mobilize close to 300 women of color from across the country to D.C. for an advocacy day. Um, and we did just that. A uh, long time planning, long, a lot of efforts from all the organizations, interorganizational work that happened, a lot of collaboration to be able to bring all these people. But the day was just amazing. It happened in September. It already feels like forever ago.
0: <laughs> still recovering. But
2: still recovering, I think. Um, but yeah, just a few weeks ago we were all there. Um, and so we were all gathered for kind of individual day as organizations, doing some of the work on our own, and then came together um, collaboratively to really just start building relationships, because I think that's what we saw, right? I think that's what you've seen kind of organically happen at the federal level in D.C., folks getting together and building time and relationships and trust, and we wanted to do that with all these folks. So we had sessions, panels um, to really talk about what our experiences are like, and how they're different, but also how they're similar, right? How our struggles can be similar, um, and honoring our differences at the same time. And so so yeah we had all these people come out we then went to lobby together on the hill um, one Tuesday and it was amazing just to be together like I mean you all started doing that organically in DC and I think I've been lobbying for a really long time as well and to actually see the difference when you show up with other people of color it, you could literally feel more power in the room um, and more solidarity just being there together so I'm excited for what was built and to see what comes after
1: yeah I was unable to attend myself but I saw the power and felt it on social media so kudos to all of you for all the amazing work that you did too and I love how you're bringing so many people to the table to come up with solutions that really reflect the lived realities of folks and coming up with not only policy solutions but also community driven solutions as well so it's really exciting Mm -hmm. um So we've talked about using reproductive justice as a framework for other issues, but how does reproductive justice show up in more traditional policymaking? Um, And I know you all also have like a strategy in terms of how you meet with offices, how you talk about the issues. So can any one of you speak a little bit about that?
3: Yeah. um, So I think that goes back to what I was saying about, you know, we have individual clout and then together we have collective power. And that was something that was really intentional when we when we created intersections of our lives. There are a lot of efforts to uh, split our communities apart and um, divide us. And um, I think what we all saw with our our intersections of our lives advocacy day is that we have more in common. Um, than our differences, and um, there's some really awesome video footage in that room of just <laughs> people breaking down language barriers yeah. and generational barriers and so on and so forth. Um, but I think in terms of traditional policymaking, we we, we really try to lift up that um, our our experiences are unique and they are different, but they're not vastly different, right? So that the AAPI community and the black community and the Latinx community do stand with each other mm-hmm. and we do have each other's backs and we um, do care about a lot of the the same issues. Um, I think... In terms of traditional policymaking, we're always trying to lift up those intersections of folks' lives and to um, really raise that you can't talk about um, abortion access without talking about access to transportation, without talking about Mm -hmm. economic justice, without talking about child care and paid leave, um, that we're not living single-issue lives and these issues do impact each other. Um, The example that comes to mind that's most recent is we obviously saw some pretty um, public um, instances of gun violence this Mm -hmm. summer, Mm -hmm. and we were able to reach out to the gun violence prevention community to see how we could be most supportive, um, and our three organizations were able to come together on a letter that we shared with Congress, um, basically talking about the intersections of, of gun violence and reproductive health rights and justice. And so I think that's a really powerful example of, of the movement building and um, culture shift work that our organizations are doing, even in traditional policymaking spaces. Um, is just framing these issues in a different way, in a way that folks haven't always
1: traditionally thought about them. Awesome. And Margie, from your organizing background, can you tell us a little bit about how reproductive justice shows up in like civic engagement and organizing and
2: community building? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, you know, you see us kind of just showing up really authentically. It allows us to really create a base that's diverse, that you know, fights back against generational, you know, boundaries that may exist, um, language barriers that may exist, right? Um, So you see a lot of our bases, in particular for the Latina Institute, are really intergenerational. We've got older folks, we've got younger folks, we have queer folks, we have documented folks and undocumented students. Um, We have a really big variety, and so with that, putting them all in the same room, comes a lot of work we have to do to understand each other, right? Because we're all coming from really different lived experiences. So I think it definitely informs our our deep organizing that's happening um, when we're canvassing, uh, and I think it really forms the civic engagement campaigns that we end up running, right? What issues we end up caring about. Um, if you look at the different issues that we work on in each of our states, they're really different. They really depend on where what's happening in South Florida, what's happening in Northern Virginia, uh, what's really up in the Bronx right now, right? It's really informed by the community for the community. Community. So all of our Latina advocacy networks are running local uh, issue-based campaigns, which is really exciting. So we're really just talking to our community, seeing what's really directly impacting them and how do we shape that into some kind of change that will really better their lives. Yeah, and a great way where I see a lot of that policy work and that
1: organizing coming together is in the HEAL Act. Um, yesterday, Representative Pramilia Jayapal and Representative Deb Hallin in- reintroduced the HEAL for Immigrants Act, um, which would remove the five-year bar on immigrants accessing programs like Medicaid. Jacqueline, can you share a little bit more about the HEAL Act and what it seeks to accomplish?
0: I can, for sure. So the HEAL Act was reintroduced yesterday, which was super exciting for all of our groups here. Um, Like you mentioned, it removes the five-year waiting period that immigrants have to wait before they are eligible for Medicaid and CHIP. What it would also do, and this is a new addition that we're really proud of, is that it would allow undocumented folks to be able to access health insurance plans that are made available by the ACA, um, the Affordable Care Act, um, which is a really, really big positive step mm-hmm. in the right direction. Um, and you know, when you're looking at immigrants, Broadly, it's, it's already really difficult to access health care. Um, in addition to having to wait five years before you access these programs that are intended for low-income people, um, you know, you're, that means that you're relying on things like your employer, you're relying on community health centers, you're, um, you're, you end up paying out of pocket for a lot of services that should be low-cost, affordable, routine, basic, preventive care. Um, And for undocumented folks, those programs are out of reach completely, including the Affordable Care Act. So what the bill would do is um, it would remove a lot of these policy and legal barriers um, that immigrants have to face in order for them just to receive things like family planning, contraception, cancer screenings. Um, It would make those services much more widely available and affordable to them. Definitely sounds like a reproductive justice bill. (laughs) Yes, it's truly intersectional because, you know, we are really looking at immigrant women. We're looking at low-income immigrant women. And we're looking at people who are really, you know, directly impacted by these policy barriers that were enacted um, really for no good reason, for, Mm -hmm. you know, other political reasons um, decades ago. Um, and you can see that reflected in the types of groups that are leading this coalition and the groups that are working on this bill. Um, you know, they're led by women of color. They're led by immigrant rights groups. Um, you have reproductive rights groups. You have um, faith-based groups. You really have a wide array of um, progressive um, progressive groups who are, you know, moving this bill forward. And I think that speaks to a lot about, you know, what we're trying to do and how how this bill really um, encompasses reproductive justice.
1: Yeah, and I think all of the groups here at the table have signed on to basically support and are leading a lot of this Mm -hmm. uh, work around the HEAL Act. Um, Margie,
2: can you tell us a little bit about the National Latina Institute's support for HEAL? Yeah, um, we were really excited in particular to, you know, speak on that during our lobby day for Intersections of Our Lives. Um, We, I was actually leading a group of folks from New York, and a lot of their representatives were already on the Each Woman Act, which we were also lobbying on that day. Mm -hmm. So we really got to spend more time talking about HEAL, um, and just the stories that were coming out really reflected the need for HEAL right now, like, um, you know, like we've been talking about, there's really not a lot of access for immigrant people and Healthcare and healthcare being such a huge issue right now, not just in in the debates and in the election, but really just on, for everyday people. Right, um, it's something that is really a huge concern and something that we are going to be continuing to work on.
1: Thank you. We want to hear more about this. Um, we're about to go to another commercial break. You're listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show, and we'll pick up right where we left off and talk more about immigration, the Heal Act, and maybe public charge. Thank you. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your host, Edward Theodine, and we're talking with Margie Del Castillo, Jessica Pinckney, and Jacqueline Dean about reproductive justice and how everyone listening can get more involved and more informed. Um, last conversation, we wrapped up speaking a little bit about immigration. Uh, Margie, can you share a little bit about the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Health campaign on the public charge?
2: Yeah, so last year we started um, hearing from our community just a growing sense of fear um, that was going around, a lot of misinformation in particular, as we found out that a new rule would be published on public charge. Um, and so we've known that's been an issue for our community for a long time, but in the current climate of, of you know deportations and family separation, this was just another layer that was really honestly terrifying our communities. We started seeing declining participation in our meetings. So we knew that we had to act, um, and we knew that education would be the way to do that. And so we created workshops um, to bring to our community meetings where we talked about what did public charge mean, right? Who would the potential new rule impact? We started doing that last year. We were also part of the Protecting Immigrant Families campaign uh, that collected, I think, over 250,000 comments, right? Uh, We were able to collect comments as well from our base in English and Spanish, which was really exciting, bilingual comment collection uh, effort that we did. And so we did that at the end of the year really strongly with that work, and our community felt more empowered for it. You know, they felt like we were taking action. We were trying to do something. Um, and then this year we kind of reamped that campaign again once we knew when the rule might be published um, and just started talking to folks about who and who may not be impacted. And so we were able to see a really good win with seeing the, the rule postponed um, and some litigation coming through for communities. So it's really exciting, and the work's not over on that, but I think for now we can do a temporary celebration. Um, and, you know, really we were very excited at the end to really involve our community step-by-step step in this issue.
1: That's awesome. Great work. Yeah, thank you. Um, And moving forward to sort of some positive stuff, I heard that there's a lot of great state activity that's
2: happening. Yes, there's a lot. I mean, I think for our Latina advocacy networks in particular, um, we're really working on a lot of exciting proactive work. Uh, We are really supporting the abortion funds in Texas as they push what's called Rosie's Law um, that would remove barriers to abortion access uh, for the Medicaid program in Texas, which is really, you know, People talk about Texas being a conservative place. It's changing. It's changing a lot, Um, and we're turning the tide there. And so we're doing really exciting work there. And in Virginia, we're pushing uh, an act called the Reproductive Health Equity Act that would expand coverage to the full spectrum of reproductive health care to all Virginians, which is so exciting. It was a dream of our activists. They created this, what would an R.J. bill look like? Um, they saw this model legislation that had passed in, in other states, um, primarily in Oregon, right? And they wanted to do it in Virginia. So they've, you know, worked on their stories. They've mobilized to the, to the Capitol in Richmond. So really exciting work there. And it's going to be a long-term process, but it's a really exciting opportunity to be proactive and not just doing defensive work. Great. Yeah. Um,
1: does anyone have any, like, state work or anything that's happening that we'd like to bring attention to?
3: Yeah, I just wanted to give um, huge props and a shout out to our state partner in California, Black Woman for Wellness, um, who had an awesome, uh, awesome piece of legislation, the California Dignity in Pregnancy and Childbirth Act. Um, signed into law by Governor Newsom last week Um, this is going to be um, huge for addressing bias in pregnancy and postpartum care particularly for black women and other women of color so we're um, really excited to see um, that work going into
0: effect in California And over at NAPHOF, our New York City chapter is working on a resolution with the New York City Council um, to declare sex-selective abortion bans as racist. Mm. Um, So these are deeply racist bans that target Asian American women. Um, They're based on false stereotypes and really just chip away at our abortion rights. So, um, you know, they've made a lot of progress in working with other groups on the ground in New York City to get this resolution passed, and we're hoping that um, will be upcoming. Um, our Chicago chapter has also been really active in trying to repeal the Parental Notification Act mm-hmm. in Illinois so that um, so that youth, young people can access abortion. And um, in Georgia, we've also been doing a lot of voter engagement work. Um, it really started last year in the election when we started knocking on doors and reaching out to API communities to get them out the vote, and um, that work is continuing in Georgia and in our other chapters as well. It's really exciting to hear all the amazing work that everyone's
1: doing across the country, and I really do think RJ will save us. Reproductive reproductive justice is the way. Mm -hmm. Um, To kind of wrap up, uh, we're reaching the end of this segment, but I'd love for, if anyone has any final thoughts they'd like to share, we'll start with... Margie, do you have any sure. final
2: Sure. Yes, I have a lot. <laughs> um, I really just hope for, for all the listeners and for everyone that we're engaging, just, you know, next year is a huge year, right, 2020. And not just for a presidential election, but there's a lot of state and local elections happening, um, big elections in Virginia in just a few weeks, actually, that could change the whole makeup of the legislature. So look out locally, right? Our eyes are all on the debates and, and what's happening at that level. But look to your counties, look to your cities, look to your state, um, legislatures and see what you can do. See what candidates are out there running that you can support. See what issues are moving that you're excited about and want to plug into your local advocacy organization that's working on them. I really encourage everyone to, to think locally.
3: Thanks. Uh, I cannot co-sign all of that enough Um, (laughs) In Our Own Voice is thrilled to have our I Am A Voter campaign Um, you can learn more about that campaign at blackwomen.vote but essentially it's lifting up the lives and voices of black women um, and um, engaging black women in conversations about the issues that matter to them and what brings them to the polls Um, so we're really excited to continue that work in 2020 and I think uh, as it relates to reproductive justice I I think it's just really important to remember that um, we're a movement and that we are um, trying to do the really challenging but important work of breaking down uh, traditional systems that have not served us in the past um, and to to do really important culture shift work and uh, we hope that you will join us
0: Um, just to add on to everything that's already been said, um, I will make a shameless plug and ask everyone to call your representatives um, in the House and <laughs> ask them to co-sponsor the HEAL for Immigrant Women and Families Act that was introduced yesterday. Um, and I also want to you know, emphasize that the HEAL Act is very proactive, and that's exactly what we should be doing in reproductive justice. Like Margie said, we can't be playing defense all the time. We have to be demanding justice and laying our future out for us. Thank you so much to all of
1: our guests. This is our time for today. It's been so much fun talking about reproductive justice. I encourage everyone to look it up, learn more about it, and look up all these great organizations. Thank you.